0: The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north, around and around goes the wind, and on its circuit the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness, a man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of latter things yet to be among those who come after. So have fun at the fair this afternoon when you go out. Ecclesiastes is a powerful and wonderful book, and we're going to spend the next few weeks during the fall in the book of Ecclesiastes, but let's pray. Holy Father, thank you for your word. Lord, we pray that you would awaken us to true reality this morning. Lord, we pray that you would refresh us with your word. And now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Ecclesiastes is a very, at times, neglected book by Christians. They don't always read Ecclesiastes. I preached on Ecclesiastes um, about 10 years ago here, 10 or 12 years ago, um, one Sunday. And afterwards, I had a person come up to me, and they've been a Christian for years, and they said, uh, That was a pretty good book. I've never read Ecclesiastes. And it's kind of stunned me and that's stuck with me ever since then. And I've always wanted to preach through the book of Ecclesiastes, but sometimes it can be a neglected book for us because it's a little bit down sometimes we feel that way. And sometimes Ecclesiastes is a very confusing book. It's just uh, the way he says things. It's not as uh, uplifting and promising sometimes as other passages of Scripture. So sometimes it's not the quickest one we run to, but Ecclesiastes is very much... The word of God. The Bible says that all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. And so, we want to spend time in Ecclesiastes because I believe it is a very necessary book to go through. In our culture today, there are a growing number of people. If they were to check, where do you stand uh, religiously? Are you uh, where? Where where do you place yourself in? They would place themselves nowhere. They would put themselves in the none category. That would be the box that they check. They, they don't have a faith. They don't have a belief. A few weeks ago, I was sitting on the second floor deck of a young guy who had just gone through a pretty tragic circumstance, talking to him and asking about his story, asking about his life. And as we sat there, it was getting kind of dark. It was a little, the, the sun was starting to set. And he was on the back smoking, so there's smoke in the air. And it was, and he was just. I was asking, how do you? What do you think about? And he says that he just doesn't really think about God that much. He's just not interested in what he said. But we sat there for two and a half hours, and I listened him talk about life and the deep things of life. And he's actually very interested. He just doesn't know where to go with all these deep questions. About his life, and Ecclesiastes addresses those topics. Because the more we talk to people, the more people you talk to at work, they're dealing with the things that Ecclesiastes deals with. And maybe this morning you are dealing with those questions as well. But Ecclesiastes can sometimes be a challenge because it's an arrangement of how the book was written is a little bit of a challenge. It's not just one. Sometimes it's hard to follow the author's train of thought or where he's going. And but he's Talking and teaching as a philosopher. But I think one thing you find out when you read Ecclesiastes is it's a very arresting book. When you start reading Ecclesiastes, it grabs you as you read through it and hear what it has to say when you realize that this book was written a thousand years at least before Jesus walked the earth. Ecclesiastes was written before any of the Greek philosophers existed. So when you read what it has to say, it's uh, very arresting, it's very gripping. I don't know if you've seen the video of the tennis player who was just standing on the side of the hotel room this past week, and the undercover cop came and threw him down, and just he, he was just standing there, minding his own business, and all of a sudden, and boom, he's on the ground. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, if you read Ecclesiastes that way, that's the effect that Ecclesiastes can have on your life. You can just be going through or someone's life, and it just grips you with that kind of arresting effect. But the other part about Ecclesiastes, and why I wanted us to go through it, is it's very authentic. In our culture today, more and more people say that we want to be authentic. They're looking for authenticity, something very sincere. This past Thursday night, our vice president was on one of the late late night talk shows, talking about the death of his son from brain cancer a few months ago, and if he's going to run for president. And vice president, Joe Biden, was absolutely human in the interview. He was unbelievably authentic in talking about the real pain of life and the real struggle about putting yourself in the position to run for presidency. And the next morning, the Washington Post had an article about how Joe Biden, who sometimes speaks too much is now benefiting himself from his authenticity. Because what people are looking for in this political season is authenticity. And his speaking this time proved and showed to them that there was a man behind all the things that they see. And it was genuinely authentic. And Ecclesiastes does the same thing. It's very authentic to life. It's extremely relevant. When you read it, written over a thousand years ago, It's part of the wisdom literature of Scripture. The the wisdom literature is Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. Job talks about suffering. Psalms talks about the praise of God. Proverbs talks about the practical things of life. Ecclesiastes talks about life. Psalm Psalm talks about love. All about this wisdom, the way God wants us to live, and how wisdom is developed and what true wisdom is. Martin Luther said this about the book of Ecclesiastes, speaking to Christians, followers of Jesus Christ. When it comes to the book of Ecclesiastes, he said we should read this noble little book every day, precisely because it is so firmly, because precisely because it so firmly rejects sentimental religiosity. It shakes you to the core of who you are, what you really believe, and what's really going on in your life. Someone has said it's the working person's book. It deals with the gritty practicalities of life. And someone also said it's the thinking person's book because it answers all the big questions of why am I here? What's the purpose of my life? Does God really care about me anyway? It's all packed in this wisdom book called Ecclesiastes. It's like cool water, it says in Proverbs. It's like cool water to a thirsty soul is good news from a far country. And as we go through the book of Ecclesiastes this fall, what I hope to happen for us is it will be like cool water to thirsty souls. You wake up and sometimes you just need some cold water to slap you in the face and refresh you and remember what's important or wake you up what's important ecclesiastes has that impact that's the wisdom and the punch that it packs but who wrote the book verse one says the words of the preacher the son of david king of jerusalem doesn't really say who wrote the book. It, the son of David, king of Jerusalem, could be many sons of David, many kings of Jerusalem. He doesn't just come right out, the author doesn't come right out and say who it is. It says the words of the preacher, or it could be the words of the teacher, which is probably better because the words of the preacher, often the preacher is supposed to give and tell you what is the right thing. And the book of Ecclesiastes, is more like a teacher, and he's more like a philosophy teacher leading a seminar who asks more questions than he gives answers. He's more compelling you to sit and to think and to ask you the deep questions that sometimes we're afraid to go and ask ourselves. And we don't want to be asked. We don't want to deal with. But he is like a teacher. He's a, like a philosophy professor who's in a seminar. He's, he's passing out questions to you to dig out from you what wisdom is. The word that the Bible uses that for this author is kohelet, which means just a collector or an assembler of information. He could be Solomon who was the wisest king that ever lived, who who could, from his status of wisdom, his status of fame, his status of power, he could be the collector. And clearly, whoever put the book together was trying to either is Solomon or pull from Solomon's wisdom and authority. But whoever it is, whoever wrote it, the truth of the passage and the truth of the book describes for us, Wisdom and how to figure it out, and what it is, and it's gritty, and sometimes it's difficult. And if you really look at Ecclesiastes for this next month, emotionally it will grip you, spiritually, I hope it will grip you because it makes us face ourselves, it puts a mirror up to our own lives. What's the main point that he says? In the in Old Testament, in Hebrew, Ancient literature, they would put out the main point first. That's what he does. It says the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Some translation says meaningless, meaningless. And to really let you know, all things are meaningless. That's his conclusion after looking at all these things. He says, "What? it's all vanity. It's all meaningless. It says, What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? What does he mean by the word vanity? What is it, what's he talking about? It's more than just vain things. It's, it's not just the things are meaningless. The word that he uses, it says, when he looks at when you look at life, life you could say it's fleeting, he's saying. Fleeting, fleeting, says the preacher, all things are fleeting. Or mysterious is another way you could use it. Mysterious, life is very mysterious constantly i can't figure things out i don't know why things happen the way they do i I can't i can't look at things and say this is the way it's going to turn out that's not how life works he says life is fleeting and life is like a vapor and life is very mysterious and he says almost the word can be used it's absurd life is absolutely absurd life is wacky that's his conclusion after looking at life, he says it's, it's fleeting, it's mysterious, it's meaningless, it's vanity, it's absurd, it's absolutely wacky. And we know this to be true. This can be true in positive ways. For us, years ago, we, my parents, we lived in Minneapolis, my parents were, um, bringing up a piano for us to our apartment. And they, they, we were out that day, and Minneapolis has got a pretty good, uh, Interstate system and my parents weren't really familiar with Minneapolis and so we were out We didn't know when they were coming in and we were just going to start heading back to our apartment And so I pulled back onto the the big highway main highway around Minneapolis And all of a sudden i'm looking up and I look ahead and I see uh, hey that looks like my dad driving there Um, Didn't think about it and I looked a little closer It was my dad who didn't know how to get to my apartment But all of a sudden for some reason that day I pulled off the interstate right behind my dad. That's absurd. That's absolutely wacky how life happens that way. Sometimes it's negative. of months, a couple years ago, Channel 11 put out this documentary about um, Hazard County, Kentucky. And they followed the lives of these teenagers who are in absolute poverty and trying to get through the difficulties of growing up in the South in poverty. And it gripped me because we'd watch it and there was one boy in particular, You really they, they edited it so well, you really wanted him to win. You were rooting for him. He lived in a trailer in the middle of nowhere. He had nothing. His, his dad had abandoned him. It was a mess of a life. And they showed the episode of his life getting a little bit closer. And there was a big test he had to take. And he'd studied and he'd studied. And it was the next day, if he just would take this test, and if he would pass this test, true story, he would be able to get to college. So they closed the scene, and the next morning, at his trailer home, something had exploded in his house, flooded everywhere. He decided not to go to school that day. That was the only day he could take the test. And they showed that his life totally changed. And the absurdity of life, it seemed like he had nothing going for him. All of a sudden, he had something going for him. And then, by the wacky, absurdity, mysterious means of life, boom, that chance was gone. And they showed him later on in the episode, not going to college staying home and he's still down in kentucky today that's life isn't it how do these things happen and sometimes it's just odd ways we know these things to be true that there's this vanity and meaningless and it's just odd to us we say odd things like what a small world you probably saw somebody at the fair talk to them about something you say oh that's i didn't know you know what a small world it's not a small world you know how many people you don't know you walk up to somebody i've never met you in my entire life it is an amazingly big world We don't say that. We say odd things like, what a small world. Just because you know that person. But we know these people. It's wacky. It's absurd. It's mysterious. And the preacher says, or the teacher says, what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? 30 30 times that phrase under the sun is used in Ecclesiastes. And what he is doing, he's saying, look at your life. Look at life, and he's painting a framework of how to look at life under the sun. Just what exists under the sun, and examining under the sun what takes place and how things exist apart from God, and he comes to the conclusion that all is meaningless, all is wacky, all is out of joint. But why does he hold this to be true? Why is this the conclusion that he holds? And he gives us reasons why this is true. He says, first of all, what does a man gain by the toil at which he toils under the sun? And he says that because that's how we know life to be, isn't it? Life is menial drudgery, isn't it? If we're really honest, we don't want to believe these things that Ecclesiastes says. But if we're really honest, life is menial drudgery. You get up in the morning, you go to work, you come home, you watch some TV, you either have a good time with your family or you don't have a good time with your family. You go to bed, you get back up, you go to work, you watch some TV, you either have a good time with your family or you don't have a good time with your family. You go to bed, you get back up, you go to work, you watch the TV, you have a good time. That's life, isn't it? It's menial drudgery over and over and over again. That's the repetitiveness of our lives we all go through this process. We tell kids, graduate from high school, it's going to be exciting and it's going to be awesome. Then you graduate from college, it's going to be exciting and it's going to be awesome. But then you're just going to get up, you're going to grow up and you're going to go to work someday and you're going to go home thinking, what am I going to have to make for supper? And I hope somebody will make me supper. And you have to do the fight the Walmart crowd and you have to fight the arts crowd and you have to get back home and you have to go to work, you have to get back up, you have to have a good time or a bad time with your family, you have to go to sleep, you have to get up and do it all over again. He says. That's the toil that's under the sun. That's life. Life is full of menial drudgery. It's a rat race. It's actually a rat rut over and over and over again. This is the big picture. As much as we try to say that that's not true, for really honesty, down I this is the way life works. It's full of menial drudgery. He also says life is full of forgetful memories. He says, verse 4, a generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. And verse 11, he says, there is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of latter things yet to be. Life is filled with forgetful memories. There are kids that you went to school with in elementary school, your best friends, you hung out all the time, and you can't remember their names right now. You have to have totally forgotten them. There's people you we went to college with. There's people you used to eat with, we eat together at lunch with work, and you can't remember their names anymore. You don't know where they live. They're basically forgotten. That's life, isn't it? We forget things all the time. Even today, in the sandwich record, it says Alpha kicks off season of free lectures. Alpha is a historical thing, and they're talking about great cities in Rome this year. And Septimus Severus, who had a massive building construction in Rome. Nobody cares, which is why it's free to go to this Alpha Course. Because nobody cares. He's forgotten. Just like Ecclesiastes says, only people who really love history are even look this guy up. Nobody remembers us. Nobody will remember you. We are so convinced that we are so valuable that we're gonna leave this legacy. And Ecclesiastes says, "A generation goes, and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. There is no remembrance of former things. One day they will stop reading the names on nine eleven of the people who died because they are forgotten they won 't be remembered that 's life. it is full of meaningful drudgery. it is full of forgetful memories. My senior English teacher, Mrs. Elliot, made me read Macbeth. And Macbeth even said this, Shakespeare knew this. He said, life's, in Macbeth, life's but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. So Ecclesiastes says we're going to be forgotten. It's filled with forgetful memories. Then he says life is full of repetitive monotony. Again. He talks about the sun rising and the sun going down. He talks about the winds blowing and the reality is they're going to blow. Tornadoes are going to happen. The hurricanes are going to happen. It's going to happen again. The sun's going to go up. The moon's going to go around. It's just going to keep happening. The water keeps flowing through and it keeps flowing back. It's life is full of repetitive monotony. The world gets this. We know this deep down. Movies are made about this. Remember the Truman Show in 1998? Truman was this guy born in a bubble that everybody could watch his life on TV. And his whole life was protected. And it was monotonous. And it was things doing things over and over again. And for a while, that felt like a good safe thing for his character. But then all of a sudden, he realized that that car walks past. That, that car drives past at this exact time, day after day after day. And the whole movie was just showing that this is life. There is this menial drudgery, this forgetful memory, this repetitive monotony. Ecclesiastes says that's life under the sun. When you look at the life just under the sun, just look at life under the sun, And the only conclusion that you should honestly come to is that life has meaningless. It's vanity. It's fleeting. It's not accomplishing anything. Even with the beauty of the sun, even with the beauty of the moon, even with the beauty of the ocean, it's still just going seemingly nowhere when you look at life under the sun. And then he says, all things are full of weariness. And this is where we all just want to say, well, that's not maybe true. You know, it really might not be true. I'm going to fight for this one. The life isn't weariness. I just got married. Or, or, you know what? That's great. Or I just graduated from high school. Or I just graduated from college. Those are good things. Or I just got the newest iPhone. Or I just went to great America. Well, guess what? They're building new ones. They're making other ones. And after you've been to your own wedding, 10 years later, you're going to look at the weddings and say, that was fun but do they have a lot going on that's got to come? And deep down, there is a weariness for all the things in our lives, isn't there? We know this weariness is as much as we want to fight against it. He says all things under the sun are really just full of weariness. It's just repeated hardships and restlessness. And you get through those, and there's more repeated hardships and restlessness. And he's looking at life under the sun just by its reality and he's saying these things are true. And is this just pessimism? Is that what he is? Is this just a pessimistic author who hasn't found his place yet in life? No. He is a teacher. This is faithful, honest, thoughtful approach to life under the sun. And he asked the question, what does man gain? Which is the question we have to ask for honest with ourselves. What does man gain from this? Why is it this way? Why is it life under the sun this way? The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, the creation was subjected to futility because of humanity rejecting its creator. The same word for meaninglessness is the same word that paul used in romans 8 for futility that because of man's rebellion against its creator life and the world under the sun was put to futility as much effort as you want to put into trying to make it work and make something special and believe that you're going to be different from everybody else that you're going to find some satisfaction under the sun apart from god you know deep down it's not true. Because every time you get that satisfaction, you want something else. Every time you get what you want, you want something else. Nobody says, I'm done. Please don't buy me anything ever. You know, grandma and grandpa say that every once in a while, but deep down they're buying stuff that you don't know about. Because nobody says, I don't want anything new. I want to keep it the way I want to keep it. We don't say that because we know deep down. I want something more. There's got to be something more. And the world says, that's not true. But it is true. Because all in humanity, we know this to be true. Philip Yancey wrote this after September 11th. He said, sometimes the shock that hits not one person, but a community A whole nation even, a shock so great, it does turn thoughts to God. That happened to the United States on September 11th, 2001 as as a side effect. An act of monstrous evil exposed the shallowness of an entire society. Professional sports ground to a halt. Television comedians went off the air, as did all commercials. In a flash, we saw the comparative meaninglessness of much of our lives. That 3,000 people could go to work as part of their daily routine and never come home made us all aware of our fragile mortality. Married couples canceled divorce plans. Mothers and fathers trimmed work hours to spend more time with their children. And for a time, attendance at church swelled. The shock conveyed good and evil, death and life, meaning and absurdity, in such stark terms that we turned for answers to the people, pastors, priests, rabbis, who have always warned us not to build our houses, let alone our skyscrapers on shifting sand. What Americans learned on that day and are still learning is that sophisticated moderns have not renounced transcendence, but rather replaced it with weak substitutes. Unlike past generations, many are unsure about God and an invisible world. Even so, we feel the longings for something more. All of us feel that longing. C.S. Lewis said, if you find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. Ecclesiastes comes right out and grabs you and says, how are you looking at life? Because if you're living life under the sun, apart from God, and you think that you're going to find satisfaction, you're not. You're going to keep moving, you're going to keep buying, you're going to keep trying over and over and over again to find a way to be filled and satisfied, which life under the sun does not offer. Because life under the sun is crooked and twisted and cannot be made straight on its own. But oh, if there's only something new. What has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. What if that's not true? What if there was something new? What if what we really long for, that there is something new for us, that there is a way for us to make it through life? And the philosophy teacher doesn't give us the answer. But the Gospel of John starts to give it to us. And it says in John chapter 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And the Word became flesh, and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. His glory is only from the Son the Father, full of grace. truth what we need is something new what we long for is something new because life under the sun says there is nothing new and we know it deep down inside of us we feel it even as christians we can feel that sometimes if we're focused on that but there is something new there was something new that god became flesh in human form God transcended, came on, took human flesh, and he came to earth to rescue us from our futility, from our sin, from our helplessness. That's a new thing. And then Jesus said a few chapters later to this woman who was suffering all of this futility, this woman of Samaria. She was an outcast. Her life was going nowhere. All she felt was the oppression of everything. She felt the futility of life all over the place. She couldn't even come to get something to drink because of the futility of her life and the mistakes that she made and the fact that she had no satisfaction. She meets this man, Jesus, and he says, give me something to drink. And she can't even believe he's asking her to give her something to drink. And she tries to go off on this religious tangent, and Jesus brings her back, and he says, listen, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. If you live your life under the sun, if you're trying to drink life up under the sun, try to find your satisfaction under the sun, you will be thirsty always, Jesus said. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus said life, matters your life matters all lives matter life isn't meaningless it's futile it's mysterious but there's a new thing that happened jesus came took on human flesh saw your futility and said i want to rescue you from that and he delivered you by going to the cross dying for your sins being rose again so that we will be made new we will be made new as Christians we will be rescued we need to splash ourselves in the face with that kind of water some of you as believers have gotten wandered off i think sometimes we all do into just the monotony of life the rigors of life and we start to buy back into the world system we start to think that maybe if i just work a little harder at work i'll be satisfied Maybe if I really put in my time with my family, then I'm going to be satisfied. Maybe if I just buy that thing, I'll really be satisfied. Maybe if I just work long enough and I can retire and I can go live in ease, and I will be satisfied. And Jesus says, You're going to be thirsty. You will always be thirsty. Remember, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Splash yourself in the face with the water of Ecclesiastes. If you as a Christian are starting to buy back into the world system and say, you know what? It just doesn't matter if I serve God. It just doesn't matter if I'm involved with the body of Christ. It just doesn't matter if I'm faithful. It matters. It matters so much that Jesus came to give your life for you to let you know that it matters and to rescue you to give you new life don't waste your life under the sun because it matters and maybe this morning ecclesiastes one for you says that's what i've been thinking for a long time i've been living my life trying to find some meaning i've been living my life trying to find some satisfaction and i've tried many other options but it just seems not right i don't feel satisfied You're not satisfied apart from Jesus Christ. What Jesus offered was not religion. Showing up at church on a regular basis is not going to do it for you. Coming up with a new system of belief is not what's going to do it for you. Ecclesiastes says we needed something new. Jesus says I'm the new thing. And a new thing is not a thing. The thing is a person. Wisdom is found in a person. It's in a relationship with Jesus Christ, a person. And so maybe you're like, that's what I've been looking for, something. And it's a person. is what you've been looking for. You've been looking for Jesus. Jesus loves you. He died on the cross for you. He rescued you to give you hope so that your life can have eternal meaning and purpose. And maybe this morning, you just need to write and. Quietly by yourself. Say, Jesus, you're what I'm wanting and you're what I'm needing and I'm asking you to be in my life and rescue me. Either coming to Jesus with fresh water or maybe as a Christian, just reminding yourself to splash yourself as fall's coming. We're going to be very busy to remind ourselves we need to be focusing on what matters most augustine said thou hast made us for thyself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you where are you finding your rest in life under the sun or you are are you seeing that there's a new thing that jesus has come and he's above the sun and he gives life and he gives life more abundantly
1: Weak and wounded sinner Lost and left to die Oh raise your head for love is passing by Come to Jesus Come to Jesus Come to Jesus Now your burden's lifted and carried far away, and precious blood has washed away the stain. So sing to Jesus, sing to Jesus, sing to Jesus. Like a newborn baby Don't be afraid to crawl And remember when you walk Sometimes we fall So fall on Jesus Fall on Jesus Fall on Jesus Sometimes the way is lonely, and steep and fill with pain. So if your sky is dark and pours the rain, then cry to Jesus, cry to Jesus, cry to Jesus. Cry to Jesus. When the love spills over and music fills the night, and when you can't contain your joy inside, then dance for Jesus, dance for Jesus, dance for Jesus. Dance for Jesus. Peace And laugh on glory's side And fly to Jesus Fly to Jesus Fly to Jesus And live Fly to Jesus Fly to Jesus, fly to Jesus